Yang Yong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren. And today we're going to be talking about episode four of season four, The B Team. Uh, it was uploaded on the 26th of May 2013 with all the other episodes. The main character in this episode is Michael. This was actually the second out of the 15 episodes produced. Uh, written by Mitch Hurwitz and Jim Vallali, as with all the other episodes directed by Mitch Hurwitz and Troy Miller. The episode is 30 minutes and 46 so a full, I don't know, almost nine minutes longer than the normal episodes. And joining me to talk about this once again is Kevin O'Leary. Hello, Kevin. Hello, hello. Happy to be here again. Uh, and let me give you the summary as it is on the DVD menu. Michael is presented with a new business opportunity that could change his life. Unfortunately, he needs his family to sign off. Uh, which I don't... <laughs> these summaries on these DVDs are very kind of like vague. That really doesn't <laughs> kind of tell you very much about what's going on. Uh, obviously, the previous episode um, on which you were a guest, uh, where we talked about Michael, the first episode of the season, uh, it kind of jumped through time a lot and went backwards and forwards. And we kind of saw Michael getting into the, um, uh, you know, the, the family business of being a developer, uh, finally developing in all the rest of the houses <laughs> at Southern Valley. But unfortunately, there was no road to connect them. And the mailman died, and so there was a lot of Michael moving in and out with um, George Michael. Uh, you know, there's the the voting situation. Yep. <laughs> he finally arrived in Phoenix, um, only so that he could read the in-flight ma- magazine, and then he immediately turned around and flew back home. Now, this episode itself, it doesn't really follow on from the end of the previous episode. I mean, the end of the previous episode kind of took you all the way through to um, Cinco de Cuatro, where um, it seems that Michael has killed Lucille too. Um, (laughs) And he owes Lucille too $700,000. And, you know, there was quite a lot of that. This episode seems to almost be like a side story. It seems weird to place it that way, but... Um, a lot of the details that are in this, such as Michael, you know, meeting with uh, uh, Ron Howard and Rebel Alley and, um, you know, uh, trying to get in touch with his father. Um, obviously, you know, he, do, he the funny thing is for the first half of the episode, he doesn't get in touch with his father. It's actually Oscar, uh, <laughs> which is something you can tell from the way that he speaks about George Senior because he he addresses him in the third person, which is, you know, the giveaway that it's Oscar. Um, but obviously this comes after we've had the first uh, George Senior episode where he's in the desert and he's trying to, you know, build uh, build his wall, uh, which obviously these days has a uh, slightly different kind of connotations. <laughs> um, but, you know, so there's, there's, there's all that kind of stuff is going on. And this is very much about, it feels to me like a, a kind of almost like one of the episodes from the original series. Like it's a very compressed story. It doesn't kind of cover a ton of time like the other Michael story did and it doesn't um, it doesn't cover the other half of stories for a lot of other people I don't know how you feel about it I mean the the, the kind of the most recent episodes the next episode you know that I'll be talking about has the Tobias half of that story and they kind of they intersect a little bit and they kind of they have events happening in one which are paid off in the other this is a very kind of self-contained um, story yeah I kind of like that I like that unlike most of the other episodes in this season where everything is kind of getting pushed together and it's a weird little puzzle, in a good way a lot of times, this is nice contained very much. It's it's good to have a story that actually goes from start to finish without a lot of time jumps and a lot of other things happening. Yeah, uh, there is a lot, obviously there's, you know, there's mention of, um, you know, uh, Herbert Love, 
which obviously is a bigger storyline that comes into play later on in the uh, you know the, the series right. um there's there's a mention obviously of George Michael again when we get to George Michael's episodes which um kind of bookend the other end of the season we will see Michael again but from George Michael's point of view so a lot of those stories kind of get tied up there um but this is literally about uh, Ron Howard um <laughs> as himself and as the narrator this is probably like I like how he's kind of as Ron Howard in the episode he's kind of very disengaged and uninterested but as the narrator he's providing a lot of information and kind of um a lot of background and there's a lot of kind of like in jokes um I mean this this episode actually is very heavy on references to the first three seasons because you have both Carl Weathers and Warden Gentiles returning you have the return of Kitty um, you know, you've got Bob Loblaw, you've got Barry Zuckercorn. There's a lot of um, employees, and of course, you have the Andy Richter joke of the <laughs> of having the the quintuplets, the quintuplets of the the Andy Richters. So there's a lot of kind of references to stuff from the first, well, mostly the third season, I would say, because there's you know there's a lot of kind of the Andy Richter stuff is from there, and as is Bob Loblaw. So there's you know there's a lot of kind of reference to the old series and like i said it is and and you know it is a very kind of self-contained story which is just about him trying to get his father's signature obviously we start off with ron howard having taken a flight to phoenix and seen the in-flight magazine and i love this joke of ron howard's films are all based on pictures that he's seen and he, he likes like literally like not like pictures as in you know the movies but pictures as in just still pictures that he likes and he saw the still picture of michael with his praying hands and he decided he wanted to make a film about that person i also like how kind of vague he is about what he actually wants to do because he says that he wants to make a story about the family and you know a father-son relationship and so obviously michael then spends practically all the rest of the episode trying to get george senior's signature um, something which we see in a flashback uh, involving Max Winkler playing his own father, um, you know, uh, the younger version of Barry Zuckercorn advising George Senior to never have a signature. <laughs> and it's <laughs> and this is explained by the fact that um, Barry Zuckercorn's own father could never send him any birthday cards or Christmas cards because he doesn't have a signature. And I like how everyone in the room... I mean, the you know, obviously we have Kristen Wiig and, and Seth Rogen returning here. They they kind of play... A, I don't know if they're playing along or if they are quite stupid and they're like, oh, yeah, he has no signature. And I like how the guy who's playing um, uh, Barry Suckercorn's father, um, the the actor uh, Alan Wasserman, um, he, he, I like the way he just delivers the, yeah, I, I have no signature. <laughs> As if that's a real thing. <laughs> it's like such a kind of crazy joke, um, you know, that they kind of they go to. Um and, you know, uh, we start with Michael being given a job by um, by the comedian Andrew Santino, who's currently on um, I'm, I'm Dying Up Here. Um, and he, 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 he uses the same kind of phrasing that they do um, in the Bluth family, where he, he says, you know, that Michael insists on getting a company car. Um, and he goes, oh, well, this car, you may get some stairs. And obviously Michael says he's used to a car with stairs, which, you know, a, a wonderful kind of wordplay. And um, we find out that he's going to be driving um, uh, a Google car, you know, the car that takes all the photographs that make up um, Google Street View. Except um, the narrator says it's a company that won't let us show the car that takes those pictures. And, you know, he they, they, they kind of they blur the logo 
And the narrator says, you know, if you want to know what the company is, all you have to do is something it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's you know, they, this is something that actually um, happens in the Tobias episode as well. And, and it's something that's actually quite common in this series, which is the blurring of logos. Uh, you know, the Fantastic Four logo in the, in the next episode also gets blurred. And, you know, there are, it, there's this suggestion that companies don't want to be associated with the blues. <laughs> and so they insist on having their logos blurred. And that's something that kind of continues throughout this series. But I love that joke, particularly as, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, the Google Street View car has a habit of attracting people doing silly things. So while, while Michael is parked up, um, people keep coming, driving past and just kind of yelling things and kind of doing things because obviously they think that their photo is going to be taken. Um, and that's the kind of like a nice background detail. Um, and, you know, we, we see the adult Barry Zuckercorn, um, who is on trial himself. <laughs> and I like how, you know, after after telling Michael that Ron Howard wants to meet with him, he says <laughs> this is the only piece of information he gives um, on the meeting. He says, apparently he directed a movie called Cocoon, <laughs> which, <laughs> which uh, there's like a, so many films that get kind of name checked. And I just love that. That's the kind of the only one that Barry was able to find out. about. <laughs> and I, I don't even know. I don't even know why that's the one they picked, but it's, you know, it's quite a funny joke. And this leads to the reuniting uh, for the first time in about 30 years of Scott Bio and Henry Winkler on screen as Bob Loblaw is the defend is the 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 lawyer who is defending Barry, and they're at a school gate, and you know Bob Loblaw asks Barry to reach over to try and open the school gate, um, and you know Barry says that he can't reach the chachi, um, and I like that Bob Loblaw says. Uh, if he can't reach, this trail's a breach. <laughs> Which, <laughs> one of the many kind of like rhyming lawyer things that they tend to say. Um, and this is, you know, a, a law bomb, apparently, that has been dropped by Bob Blah Blah. So it's a Bob Blah Blah law bomb. Um, and I like how the, the jury kind of are impressed by this. It's just such a kind of, it's such a weird kind of thing. Oh, it felt good. The chemistry was still there. It was a great funny moment. And you have to have those two lawyers together at some point again. That's very perfect. You have those two characters in the show. Had to bring them together. And of course, you know, obviously, when you know when this when the show was on before, uh, Bob Loblaw replaced Barry Zuckercorn, um, and so they didn't actually ever share any screen time in season three. Uh, so it, it is kind of nice to have them back here. Obviously, uh, you know, Scott Bio in real life has you know since, since this show aired, uh, has taken a kind of unsavory turn. So uh, you know, I'm not sure if they'll ever have Scott Bio back on the show, but you know, it does feel good to see them together. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the end of, um, of Barry Zuckercorn's contribution to this episode. Uh, aside from the flashbacks where we find out about, you know, don't have a, um, you know, don't have a, a signature. Um, you know, in fact, there's a lot of kind of, I mean, this is one of the more meta episodes where they have a lot of stuff about Imagine Entertainment. Um, and, you know, they talk about how, I like I like how <laughs> the narrator says it is um you know the modest film television and streaming colossus of Brian Grazer and Ron Howard <laughs> which you know to say modest and then call them colossus is you know uh it's quite clever um and there is a little bit they have like a lot of kind of variety headline stories uh, you know, like jokes in this episode, uh, one of which, you know, the first of which is a little bit tragic because it says Carrie Fisher ankles bit two. Um, 
uh, where basically, you know, uh, Michael says that's not very nice. And, uh, you know, Kitty explains that in variety headline speak, ankles means that she's left the project. Um, and, you know, uh, Kitty here returning, um, we find out that she's as ruthless as ever because uh, she's managed to get maybe fired. Um, <laughs> something which obviously will impact a lot on maybe storyline. Uh, where we find out that she never, um, you know, she never got her, she never graduated from high school, basically. Uh, and once we get to the maybe episode, that basically is the entire storyline of her episode, um, <laughs> is her staying in high school for years and years and years. I like this little, this quick little visual joke where, um, you know, the script that was going to be, you know, the, the very, the very last scene from the very last episode in season three was... Uh, Ron Howard saying that, you know, he saw the story of the blues as a film. And here um, we have two piles, one for active development. And Kitty puts the script for, you know, the blues story into not going forward for development <laughs> rather than you one might expect the title to be arrested development. Um, so, you know, there's a, a nice little joke on that. Um, and I like as well how we have, um, you know, uh, Ron Howard's office has a gigantic carved baseball cap over it, and uh, Brian Grazer's has a gigantic carved like spiky hairstyle because obviously he you know he's known for having that spiky hair. So it's it's nice how each of their offices is identified by something from the top of their head, um, you know. And obviously you know M- Michael, um, the narrator points out that. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer's building is actually a little bit taller. Um, but the narrator says, who wants to be south of Wiltshire? Um, so, you know, some very kind of inside jokes. Uh, and obviously Michael goes to see Ron Howard. While he's while he's in there, we see that they're making the, you know, the, the kind of the Andy Griffiths, I'm assuming, story. And they have like a ton of small kids who essentially obviously are trying to be... Uh, Ron Howard, <laughs> um, who, of course, says we're never going to beat the original. Uh, one of many, you know, kind of meta references in this particular episode. Um, but I just I just love like all these kids with like uh, fishing lines, just all kind of milling around, <laughs> um, all kind of like as if they're all little kind of Ron Howard's. It's just it's just a really kind of weird visual for Michael to kind of walk into. Um, and. Obviously, uh, Ron Howard <laughs> decides to have his meeting in his office, um, but he's inside the Apollo 13, um, you know. And, and you know, Ron Howard reveals here that NASA went to the moon in 71, but in 69, they faked it on the soundstage of Gentle Ben, <laughs> which is such a kind of... such a kind of great kind of joke. I like how when Ron Howard says he's been going to Phoenix... Uh, Michael thinks that he means that he's been going to the online college as well, um, which is, you know, a, a nice little misunderstanding. Um, and obviously he has a copy of Altitude. Um, and this is where he, I like my, my favorite was where how the narrator says Splash was based on what turned out to be a counterfeit Hockney that Brian had talked Ron into buying, which is weird because, you know, he is Ron. So he could have just said me, but he doesn't. Um, and I, uh, the gag for the Da Vinci Code is probably my favourite kind of joke in this episode. Where the thing that inspires him is the photo of the Da Vinci Code, but it's on, it's it's on the front page of Variety saying Sony have got the rights to make the film with the Da Vinci Code. So, so I don't know. I just love that kind of joke because um, it's just really stupid. Because they they kind of they start in tight on it, and as they pull out, they reveal it's just a copy of Variety. 
Um, and, you know, Willow apparently was from a, a soft and snuggly coupon that he got in the mail. Um, and I, I, what's funny is, of course, you know, when Ron Howard was hired to be the narrator, he was only really hired essentially because there was nobody else. And, you know, he was only meant to be the temp track and they were meant to find an actor to come in and do it. And in the end, he took the role. But it pays off here because, you know, having him as the narrator and as himself lets them make so many jokes uh, and also it, it allows Ron Howard to just list all these films, basically, <laughs> um, you know, uh, which I, I, I think is and, I, you know, he's he's obviously very game for playing this version of Ron Howard, which is, you know, obviously not himself. This kind of this person who bases all his directorial choices on think just pictures that he sees anywhere. You know, it's, it's kind of it's a, a strange conceit, but I like how Ron Howard uh, kind of plays along with it. Uh, and obviously, you you know, given that he's been directing for um, almost 40 years now, you do forget that he was an actor, um, you know, and that's where he started. And so, you know, uh, I kind of I just kind of love that uh, he's he's kind of going back to being an acting and he plays everything so dry. And, you know, he's just he's just I, I think that he's probably one of the kind of unsung assets of Arrested Development, just being able to have Ron Howard as your narrator and then have him be on screen as himself. Um, and, you know, obviously convincing Brian Grazer to do the same. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's just, you know, I don't, how do you feel about Ron Howard kind of kind of being on screen for this long? Because obviously in the original series, he basically was on screen for 10 seconds at the end of the last episode. So having such a big presence in this episode, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it feels perfect for the show. It feels like a love letter to Ron Howard after all these years of narrating and really just giving him the screen time and the, the jokes he deserves as part of the rest of the development family. Uh, and it feels, it's, it's definitely one of the most meta episodes of the whole series, and I really like that about this. Adding Ron Howard and having Ron Howard make a sh- trying to make a movie about basically the show while also narrating the show in the show is all very good and very funny. He, of course, is the one who introduces Rebel Alley and this kind of misunderstanding that Michael gets where, you know, he assumes that, you know, the my girl... Uh, and, and this is, of course, as the narrator, he says Ron was referring to his mistress, but he's actually. But then he says, but Ron was actually talking about his daughter <laughs> again. As the narrator, not bothering to say, you know, to refer to himself in the first person, um, and you know, Ron Howard obviously encouraging Michael to think that Rebel Ali would be perfect for the role of um, his wife. Obviously, when we actually do meet Michael's wife, um, you know, uh, we do find out that she is a redhead and does you know the actress um who plays it does look a little bit like isla fisher so there is a kind of resemblance there um but obviously you know ron howard is just you know pretending to be a you know a nepotist basically and just suggested it for nepotism rather than because she's a good actress <laughs> um and of course the scene kind of finishes with michael saying i'm sure you've all got girls up here in hollywood and ron howard kind of cheerfully saying well brian's got two boys <laughs> and, and the kind of look on jason bateman's face of like wait there what's he you know like kind of i just like the kind of you know the the kind of the judgment that he's kind of passing um and you know obviously ron howard then says that he wants you know everyone's signature and says the real heartbeat is the father-son dynamic um which michael immediately interprets as george senior and himself um and it takes you know pretty much the entire episode before you find out michael is off on the wrong foot there um but I, you know, I kind of like as well how, um, you know, we find out 
uh, you know, through the flashback that basically <laughs> um, George Senior has has no, um, you know, has has no signature, uh, which I, I always I always find the kind of the, the legal defense that kind of um, Barry Zuckercorn comes up with to be quite interesting because it suggests that he has no idea of how to be a lawyer, um, you know, and the fact that he ends up in so many lawsuits himself. You know, maybe indicates that he doesn't fully understand the law. Michael bumps into Rebel Alley outside of, um, you know, the the headquarters for Imagine Entertainment. Um, and I like how she talks about, you know, um, she's gone to this, this audition for, you know, a rom-com. And she talks about how it's these ridiculous meet-cute cliches where a guy and a girl just bump into each other. <laughs> Obviously, seconds after she's just bumped into Michael... And she's like, they fall in love. And they kind of start doing this whole thing. And I like how Michael goes, my deceased wife had red hair. <laughs> and that's the thing that kind of snaps Rebel Alley out of it. She's like, yeah, garbage like that. Just so unbelievable. And she's like, and they never even get each other's names. And of course, that is exactly what happens here. Uh, when Michael, who has been given a set of cards that say he's a producer um, by Ron Howard. Um, and, you know, he, he, he gives one to Rebel Alley and you know, says that she'd be perfect for the part of the wife. Obviously, without realising that he's he's basically going for the same casting choice that Ron Howard is. Um, and she invites him to go to the eating club to hear her play Scottish music. Um, which, is, again, once we actually get to that scene, it's a kind of, it's a really odd choice that they go for that. But, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess the red hair um, kind of makes them Scottish or something. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but it's just a really odd choice. <laughs> Michael, by the time he, you know, because of his his car is parked outside the building, the, the kind of Google car, and he's embarrassed to go to it. He just keeps walking past after Rebel kind of laughs at this car. And, you know, he by the time he's got two blocks away, um, he starts singing and then realises he doesn't know um, what her name is. <laughs> and that will kind of drive part of the plot for the rest of the episode as he tries to find out Rebel's name. This leads to some misunderstandings with uh, Kitty. And of course, you know, he, he returns to Balboa Towers to try and fight, to try and find his father, to try and get his signature. And we see Lucille too uh, on the balcony with what appears to be George Senior. Um, and, you know, he I like how he goes. I just came here uh, to get some suits, you know, so I can look like an uptight, dishonest, cheating boob that I am. <laughs> uh, which, you know, the fact that he's kind of talking that way su suggests that it's not George Senior. Uh, but obviously, Michael, uh, you know, misses that part uh, and obviously, you know, uh, talks about how, you know, he's he's in the wrong Lucille's apartment. Um, and when he meets with, you know, Oscar in the in the um, the hallway, he says, you know, you're getting divorced. I'm not one to judge. Great to see you again. Past is the past. And he's basically kind of trying to get up to date with his father like so quickly so that he can get to the point where he says, you know, uh, can can you, you know, I'm a movie producer. Can you sign this piece of paper? And it's just like, I like how kind of artificial it is that Michael's not really that concerned. He just wants to get the signature. I like how Jeffrey Tambor is playing it, being so kind of like indifferent to Michael's advances and just not really that bothered with the whole thing. And, it, you know, it's nice to see Jeffrey Tambor um, here uh, once more. It's knowable in this episode that basically, you know, most of the main cast don't actually appear in it. There's no Lindsay, um, you know, there's no uh, George Michael. You know, there's only really maybe in flashbacks uh, there's a little bit of Tobias, and and then there's only really Michael and and um, 
you know, Oscar or George, and that's pretty much it. So this is kind of like the most, <laughs> this is the, the kind of most stripped down that this cast um, gets to be. You know, we get to the, the kind of the title of the episode, which is, is called The B-Team. That's because, because Michael decides to assemble his team for the film, um, but not until he's been shown his office and this to me feels a little bit like a kind of being john malkovich joke when he arrives at the office and and, and the ceilings are a little lower um and this is because um brian and ron wanted their their ceilings to be higher but they couldn't make the building any higher um and it's like a part of their rivalry with jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, and we will see later on in the episode that in keeping with ron howard having uh, the lem in his office from Apollo 13, Jerry Bruckheimer has the Black Pearl from Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean in his office. Um, and, and, you know, if, he, if he's not going to meet with you, the phrase is he's not coming out of the boat, uh, which I, I kind of love that. I love the idea that every director in Hollywood has, you know, a production company that has something from one of their films that they keep in their office. Uh, you know, that's just like kind of a funny thing. Um, and... You know, Michael, of course, wants to try and find out who Rebel is. He asks Kitty if they have like a director, uh, directory, should I say. And um, I like how people are bringing in the desk. And she, he says to Kitty, watch your back. And she immediately gets very aggressively in his face and says, no, you watch your back. You know, and it's, it's quite funny how she kind of, um, you know, t- takes that the wrong way. Um, and, you know, obviously Michael... Uh, decides to go to uh you know the various people who could help him to get this film made together first of all he goes to carl weathers um and they ask about you know like um the rights and this is where we get a kind of once again we go extremely meta with this where um you know the, the narrator reveals that carl weathers never bothered to get the rights you know for the scandal makers about um george senior and so he had to. The final episode of Scandal Makers is called Weather's Permitting. <laughs> and then it says, The Scandal Makers Makers Scandal, which is such a, a kind of. And then we see, you know, um, Tobias serving Carl Weathers. And then, of course, you know, debris kind of collapses. And we see Tobias quickly running with, to be, to, to, with debris into the hospital. Um, you know, which kind of calls back to to you know the 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 meeting of them, um, and I just I just love how Carl Weathers is like, um, you know, it's better to to what is it? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? Yeah, yeah. and obviously, and the narrator says he didn't get either, <laughs> <laughs> and so I I love how you know Carl Weathers basically is just doesn't care about rights issues and just keeps making stuff without getting anyone's um, rights, um. And of course, um, I like how Michael um, then decides to go to Warden Gentles, arguing that, you know, this is a man who knows his father well. (laughs) And I like how uh, James Lipson, once again, a delight as he has like um, an iPad and he's trying to make notes while he's got this meeting. And uh, he says, uh, you know, my grandson gave me this, but I guarantee you, Give me a, a, an old royal, a glass of scotch, and I'll give you 250 pages where the lightning hits the tree. And, of course, Michael has to say, that's not what we do here. And he goes, oh, I mean where the drop hits the pond. <laughs> uh, I like, And I like as well how both of the buildings have got like animated versions of the logos. 
Um, and in, in particular, you know, like Imagine has got like a very kind of, it basically is an entire description of what happens on the um, on the picture where it's like, um, <laughs> where it says, where dreams drop into the make-believe as surely as a drop of water falls into a bigger thing of water in slow motion. And that's like the description. And obviously then you have, you know, like the, the, the kind of, the logo for Bruckheimer, um, you know, it says uh, driving action forward towards love through a storm until lightning hits a tree. Um, so I just love I love the idea of all of the, you know, the different production offices in Hollywood having these gigantic billboards describing what the logos are, uh, you know. And once Michael kind of <laughs> we see that Warden Gentiles has had various kind of meetings and for some reason, John Krasinski is working in Jerry Bruckheimer's office. Now, I'm not sure if, if John Krasinski is meant to be, um, you know, himself or if he's just meant to be, you know, someone who works for Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, but I, I like how, you know, the phrase is, you're not charring my tree, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which you know, I, I, I like how both production companies kind of use their logo as kind of internal kind of company jargon. I, I like how Michael has changed the story for, to, uh, th- this is a story of myself and his father and their friend Carl Weathers, <laughs> which, which I like. And of course, at this particular point, you know, Wooden Gentiles looked up and he goes, wait a minute, I turned it off again. And it's like, he doesn't even understand how to work an iPad, which I just kind of love that. Um, you know, how did you feel about you know the the bringing back of Carl Weathers and and, uh, and Warden Gentiles? Oh, it's nice. In the episode about Hollywood, you have to bring them back in and have it have it be a part of the story. And I like as very soon we're about to talk about how Andy Richter comes back too. Just get all the key characters of that rest development meta Hollywood universe that to come together. We got to be in the episode. And of course, Andy Richter, you know, points out. I think I think the funny thing is, you know, we see Michael go to Andy Richter, and we're assuming. You know, after after Warden Gentiles has suggested a Philip Seymour Hoffman type, <laughs> we're assuming we're assuming that Andy Richter is that Philip Philip Seymour Hoffman type. But actually, Michael has gone to him because he's trying to figure out who Rebel Ellie is. And then I I like how Andy Richter says, "Are you planning on using her, or is it like the with Conan with the girl writers?" Conan himself does appear in this episode, so um, at this particular point, uh, I think you know, obviously when the uh, when the series was originally on the air. Uh, Conan hadn't yet taken over and lost the the late night gig, um, so it's interesting to to kind of be here, you know, with uh, Conan O'Brien as you know on his new show with still with Andy Richter, obviously. I like when Michael tries to describe the film. Uh, Andy Richter goes, "That just saved me twelve bucks. I'm not going <laughs> to go see it." <laughs> and you know, Michael then has to point out that he's offering him a job. Um, and it's only when Conan O'Brien comes in and, you know, kind of insults him uh, and and promotes the stylist to a writer <laughs> um, that Andy Richter gets on board. We then see Michael turning up at, at Imagine Entertainment with his dream team. <laughs> um, and I like, of course, you know, we get Simply the Best by Tina Turner. Um, and the guard asks, can you turn that off? <laughs> and I like how Michael says, I thought I was playing in here. Um, and, you know, Warden Gentles is obviously accidentally playing uh, simply the best from his iPad, uh, you know. And I I like as well how, you know, once they get into the lift, it stops uh, before they actually get to, you know, uh, 
the top floor because it's a private lift and so obviously it won't it won't go past a certain floor they have the meeting with ron howard but basically you only ever see like ron howard's feet uh, and he mistakes carl weathers for cuba gooding jr <laughs> um and there's there's like a there's a whole load of kind of uh, really good jokes here, particularly as when Ron Howard sees Andy Richter, Andy Richter says, I'm out. <laughs> uh, so immediately, and I like how Michael is like, I'm not married to Andy. And he's just like willing to kind of give everyone up just to get this project uh, going. And then obviously, you know, this is where we've, we we've meet Brian Grazer, who once also mistakes Carl Weathers for Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, and, you know, both of Brian Grazer and Ron Howard agree, um, you know, to to give Michael an office in Orange County, uh, which, you know, I, I, I quite like this this kind of the the idea that the Imagine has satellite offices like Orange County Imagine <laughs> um, is quite funny. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Michael keeps getting people visiting for medical reasons. Uh, because there is Orange County imaging down the road from <laughs> Orange County Imagine. Um, and we see a guy who's at the wrong place saying, you know, that he was there to pitch a game show and he doesn't have an embolism. Uh, although, you know, maybe it's been revealed that he does have an embolism and he didn't realise. Uh, and of course, someone else comes asking to leave a sample for Michael. And he says, you know, you probably want to take it down to imaging. Now, the story that takes place in some of the George Senior episodes kind of fills out the gap that manages to get us to where we are in this episode, which is where George Senior visits Michael. I like how <laughs> he, you know, is is coming to essentially apologize. Michael says that, uh, you know, he was he was he hasn't spoken to his father because he was afraid that if he admitted sudden value was was a failure. Um and George Senior goes, told you so. Michael goes, you might say, I told you so. <laughs> and it's just like... And I love how they time that so that, you know, before Michael even gets a chance to say it, George Senior's already done it. Um, and, you know, obviously, George Senior, um, you know, agrees to the release, obviously because previously Michael has only actually talked to, um, you know, uh, Oscar about this. <laughs> That's why he didn't get the release before. Um, and... You know, Michael, once he ha now he has the release, he goes to the Ealing Club um, to see Ron Howard. Um, and this is where Ron Howard reveals that he actually needs the signature of George Michael rather than. <laughs> and of course, uh, at this particular point, uh, you know, Michael, uh, it's worth saying there was a little joke earlier in the show where Ron Howard reveals that, um, you know, he found out about the housing crash three months before it happened. Because, you know, Hollywood producers get this kind of inside information. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, when Michael asks about um, the housing market is going to pick up, uh, Ron Howard says, I could never reveal that to a non-producer. <laughs> you know, running into Rebel Alley makes Michael reconsider his position because obviously, you know, he, he, he doesn't want to go speak to George Michael uh, to try and get his signature. Um, and <laughs> but Rebel Alley, you know, says Mr. Movie Producer, and Michael, of course, is immediately straight back in, uh, saying, that's me. <laughs> and we see Rebel Alley playing the bagpipes, and the narrator telling us that, like all bagpipe music, it was hard to tell if it was good music played horribly or horrible music played well, <laughs> uh, which feels kind of like an unnecessary dig. Um, and, you know, once again, Michael doesn't get to hear her name because... 
for some reason a sheep uh, <laughs> bars, which of course calls back itself to the you know the Catalina Island um, episode, um, and we we find out that Rebel is you know uh, between films, um, and I like how <laughs> Michael says he knows Ron Howard. Um, and I do like the laugh that Isla Fisher kind of comes up with here, uh, because it is it is almost like the sheep. It is almost like a little bit like she's bleating, um, and I like as well how she suggests that um, you know obviously he he wants her to play his wife, uh, which you know has two meanings in this particular circumstance, and you know talks about how she's going to die on camera. And of course, Rebel suggests making her mentally challenged and she'll thank him in, in her Oscar speech. And I like as well how he goes, well, there's a part like that too, but she comes in later and she's British. So, uh, you know, and obviously that being a little hint at uh, the whole kind of Rita storyline. Um, and I like here, how, um, you know, Michael lies about his son, you know, uh, and the narrator says, of course, he immediately regrets the lie. Um, saying basically that George Michael is 17 um, rather than his actual age, which I'm thinking at this point is kind of his mid-20s by now. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, they go into a photo booth uh, and I like when they come out and they're, they're at the parking lot, uh, Rebel says, uh, you weren't kidding when you said you had a part for me, uh, which is, you know, a nice bit of kind of innuendo. <laughs> uh, and And... Uh, once we once we find off, we, we, we have this thing where, um, you know, uh, Michael still doesn't know her name. And, uh, you know, obviously I like when she says uh, anyone that gets that much clothing off me better know my name. Now, that seems to suggest that obviously, you know, anyone who's going to do that should know her name. But at the same time, when Michael sees the photos from the photo booth, he, she's got a tattoo of her own name on her. Um, so that's what she means. She means that, you know, obviously you, you will see her name. Um, and then, of course, you know, Michael realises, he says, I'm dating, I'm dating Ron Howard's girlfriend. And the narrator corrects him to say, actually, she's his daughter. But that's kind of worse, don't you think? <laughs> and that's where the episode ends. Um, and what do you feel about Isla Fisher? Uh, obviously, another of the new characters in this season who will play quite a prominent role in a number of episodes. Yeah, I think she's great. Uh, she's always very funny, even in the bad movies she's in sometimes. And I, re- I really think she's a nice successor, a nice new love interest for Michael. All of his love interests throughout the show have always been great, and she's a good, a good new one. I, I dig her. Married in real life to Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, so you know she has you know an understanding of comedy. You'd have to say for sure, yeah. Um, you know. Given given the kind of you know years long characters that he has a tendency to adopt, um, you know I feel like you'd have to you'd have to know about comedy to kind of be able to live with him, um, and you know we get the on the next uh, where Michael starts to learn the business at Orange County Imagine, um, and we see a guy who's come in and he basically sends him over to uh, to see his specialist to to get rid of his uh, hernia, um, and. You know, then uh, probably my favorite part of this episode, which is where um, the narrator <laughs> says, uh, you know, uh, Andy, you know, is unavailable to be on, you know, Conan's show. So Rocky gets called in, uh, you know, his identical quintuplet, uh, Rocky Richter Wang. I don't know why he has the double barrel surname, but that's always just the joke that's in the credits. <laughs> um and, you know, Conan O'Brien makes a joke at the expense of uh, of Andy Richter saying, 
you know, we've got a pilot who crashes planes and you're an actor who crashes pilots. And the narrator says, Rocky hurt two nice red-haired guys' feelings. <laughs> when Rocky says, you know, that's really funny. Uh, you know what else would be funny? If I ripped that red rug right off your head and turned you into Ron Howard. <laughs> Uh, and it ends with the narrator saying, well, getting the biggest laugh of Andy's career. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a shot at Andy Richter, there's a shot at Ron Howard, there's a shot at Conan O'Brien, like all in one kind of very short scene there. Um, and, you know, that is the end of the episode. Um, you know, basically we've ended with Michael finding out who Rebel Alley is, which was kind of one of the main drivers for most of the episode, uh, and also kind of being in the position of knowing who's... Uh, rights he's got to get uh, if he wants this film to continue so obviously that sets up the later episodes with George Michael um, in fact this actually sets up the finale of this season because that is when Rebel and Michael will intersect with George Michael's storyline um, and you know there's a few little things that get set up later on like uh, you know the Herbert Love banner that gets taken down and obviously Herbert Love you know will be uh, you know, a bigger part of the season later on. There there are kind of, um, you know, a, a few little things where obviously you have the, you know, if you if you can't reach, that's a breach. Um, but the young Barry says, if you don't sign, you'll be fine. <laughs> we get Kitty being loyal to Ron Howard, um, you know, having her ID badge taken at the same time as Ron, you know, napping at the same time as Ron, you know, as she did with, um, as she did with George Senior. Um, so this is kind of the first proper mentions of, uh, Tracy Bluth, um, you know, who will be played later on by Maria Thayer, and you know we're not going to see her for a, quite a few episodes, uh, but this, you know, th- th- her death um, obviously is not something that gets brought up that often. Um, there's there's maybe like two or three episodes in the first season and one or two episodes after that where Michael being a widower is kind of brought up, uh, mostly by people who <laughs> who who kind of get annoyed at. You know, Michael's kind of devotion to his dead wife, where, you know, uh, they had the vote about, you know, what what the disease should be. And and George Sr. goes, ovarian cancer. I wonder who suggested that. You know, like (laughs) they they constantly kind of make fun of Michael for it. But this is kind of the first time where we know that in the script, you know, Tracy Bluth is going to be part of of that. And so kind of this is it's interesting that this is the point which they start to kind of talk about her a little bit more i do like that uh in the very ron howard centric episode it had the most redheads of any, any episode of the season ever <laughs> with conan and andy yeah. and judy greer and now isla fisher and ron howard it is, they threw all the redheads they possibly could in this episode everyone besides jason Bateman, yeah. pretty funny. and and of course a lot of the kids that are auditioning yep all the millions there's a million, few yeah, redheads there ron Howard's. yeah so yeah um and i like as well how you know you see, you see, kind of like all the posters. There's posters for different films, um, you know. Uh, particularly, I like the Senior Princessa, which is, uh, you know, Mister Princess, which is the poster for Cinderella Man. Which I guess that kind of makes sense, but I just kind of, I like the kind of the weird, you know, kind of um, the posters in the background of of, of you know the different uh, the different kind of Ron Howard films but with different titles on them. Um, and, you know, obviously Michael going into the high tech sector, you know, working for Google kind of foreshadows a little bit the, you know, the whole uh, face block thing, which is, you know, is to come, um, you know. And, and you know, uh, obviously uh, we also see uh, we see a limo go past, which I'm guessing Job is probably in that limo, uh, you know. So there are a few little kind of call forwards um, to, to, to future episodes. 
but yeah, but I mean, I just, I just love kind of seeing Warden Gentles back, seeing Carl Weathers, you know, these kind of people, uh, Carl Weathers, you know, obviously willing to play this kind of parody of himself, <laughs> the same with Ron Howard and Brian Grazier, you know. Uh, so it's 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 kind of nice to have these characters back. Nice to have a kind of straightforward episode because obviously that first Michael episode very kind of complex, lots of back and forth, lots of kind of jumping around. Important to set up, you know, the time frame of where we were since the show was cancelled. But it's nice just to have a, an episode here that's just Michael kind of getting into a number of misunderstandings <laughs> with lots of different people throughout the span of the episode. You know, he doesn't understand which father-son relationship they want to focus on. You know, he doesn't know who Rebel Ali is. He keeps getting into kind of fights with Kitty when he doesn't mean to, <laughs> you know. And I, I think they kind of, uh, you know, obviously in the original series, he worked as the straight man for the rest of the family. So having him by himself, it's always a challenge to make sure that he kind of maintains that role. And I think having people like Carl Weathers and stuff like bounce off him, I think it kind of keeps him in that straight man role, which is something that Jason Bateman does so well. I feel it's worth mentioning that he, you know, in this episode, he is, you know, as good as he, he was in the first three seasons, I'd say. Definitely. Uh, so, okay, if there's nothing else to, uh, to say about this episode, then let's go to the plugs. Uh, let's see. So I, as I mentioned in the last episode I was on, I have this website called nextflick.net, also a mobile app where you uh, type in your favorite movie or TV show, and the app and website will give you 60-plus movie recommendations based on similarity of the movies or shows you type in. So definitely check that out. It's really great. And that's N-E-X-T... N-E-X-T-F-L-I-C-K, nextflick.net. Because otherwise it does sound a little bit like the company that uh, that made this episode. <laughs> it does, it does. I think nextflick.com <laughs> is actually maybe owned by netflix but but that's okay the, the <laughs> .net rolls off the tongue a little better anyway so nextflick.net great stuff and you can find us on facebook at uh i've made a huge mistake or you can follow us on twitter at a huge mistake pod uh thanks for joining me once again for this episode Kevin. thanks for having me and otherwise goodbye bye for now